you are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogues. Each week, we design new decks for tournament play, and we put our creations to the test so we can share our findings on the air. What worked? What didn't? And what should we improve for the following weeks? On today's episode, we are here united for the grand return of Zack, also known as Mana Symbol, as he joins us for Dominaria Spoilers. Will the second wave of spoilers outclass the first one? Will we find new beautiful cards to brew with? Join us to find out what will Dominaria come for us. Welcome to Faithless Brewing. Tonight, I, Mord, all the way from Argentina, coming here with some beautiful Dominaria spoilers, some beautiful weekly roundups, and leaving the best for last, the return of our beloved co-host that abandoned us a few months ago. Zack, better known as Mana Symbol. Hey, buddy! Somewhere beyond the sea. Uh, I've, been, I've, been, I've been doing a lot of traveling, mostly to the same exact three places in Mexico. How you doing, buddy? I miss you, doing great, doing great. Playing a lot of magic, jumping around and stuff, and just finding what to do. What about you? Besides bouncing from place to place in Mexico and being in a beautiful cafe. Yeah, well, I'm uh, currently in the wonderful city of New Orleans, Louisiana. It is staggeringly hot outside, but I've found an adorable, yeah, green-covered cafe to hang out in and talk to you wonderful people about one of my favorite things in the world, magic, which I just started replaying recently. We started replaying, or started playing, uh, right out of Mexico with an unbelievably powerful internet connection at a couple of places I found. And I'm just really excited to talk about these Dominaria United spoilers. And really, all, all the uh, upcoming sets for the next couple of years are looking right up my alley. So I'm just so excited to come back to the game. In uh, about 60 days, I'll be home. That's lovely. So around September? It's actually right in time for me to land and then immediately unpack, repack, and hop on a plane to Magic 30. But we'll get into that. And, of course, joining us, as per usual, all the way down above, in this case, I usually say down from Canada, but now it's above the Mexico, Cape Dan, our beautiful CEO, Daniel Trigger. How are you doing, Dan? Doing well, Zach. It's so good to hear your voice again. It's great to see your face again. I love this open-air podcasting. I mean, you just look <laughs> so vibrant and healthy. I know you've been out on the high seas in the Caribbean, catching sun. I'm saving a screenshot for when people ask for context. We just have this beautiful side of Zack behind like a huge, uh, like behind him a huge tree and like a fence. It's funny because it looks a lot like Mexico where where like I've positioned the camera. So I, it's like the classic Zoom meeting trick where you make your home look really <laughs> presentable. You put all the nice books <laughs> on the shelves. Well, I'm so glad you're able to join us today. You came at a great time. This is right in the thick of Dominaria spoilers. We're recording on Monday morning, which is a bit unusual for us, and what a morning it is. We had some big news in the TCG world, so a lot to get into today. Well, let's get into it, but before we do, I believe you guys usually have to do some housekeeping. Oh, of course. Saki, you're reminding us of what matters. (laughs) As always, if you are a fan of the show and want to support what we do, the best way to do so is by joining our Patreon 
You can find that at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. Can make a pledge at any tier you're comfortable with. Can be a dollar a show. That gets you immediate access to our wonderful Discord community. And we have two new patrons that we'd like to welcome this week. They are Dan L. and Colin C. Thank you very, very much for joining the Faithless family. Yeah, thanks so much. You know, every single patron helps us keep going, gets access to the beautiful Discord where you will find a lot of Shank and Amazing Bruce. And people are already getting excited about the previews and demanding an episode on certain cards. Is it like by by popular acclaim, like when you can proclaim an emperor if everyone chants in unison? It's the same in our Discord. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're big, weak humans. We always talk about how with, with the monthly project, you can guarantee us working on a card, but sometimes critical acclaim also is enough to buy our hearts. I'm pretty sure we are working on something like that uh, system from that last Harry Potter movie where we use like a small creature to determine which cards have a pure heart. Except in this case, the creature is Niv-Mizzet and he just eats anything that is not worthy. (laughs) If it's like unworthy, it just goes into Niv-Mizzet as an unplayable top end that you just win because the rest of the deck works. Exactly. You always crush Junt. So as Emmy mentioned, there's a lot of little fringe benefits and perks you get as a thank you for being a member of our community. You get to vote on cards. We have a monthly project that we're doing with the gang from Serum Visions. The current card is Resurgent Belief, which we're working on over a series of weeks. Uh, we talked about Emmy's first draft. I think, Zach, you had a chance to play this too. If you cast your vote somewhere out on the high seas, mana symbol is like searching for internet connection and trying to bring back Seal of Removal and Seal of Fire to get that one match win <laughs> with the card of your choice. He's working hard for you. I do what I can. I do what I can. I have a uh, couple of Scryfall searches of big, impactful enchantments that I'm not particularly proud of. Exactly. So let's get right into the meat of it. So where are we starting, guys? I think we should hit this news of the week, news of the day. It's very important to uh, stay hip and with it. And speaking of being hip and with it, my wonderful co-host kept this show going so strong. I mean, I'm a late joiner, so I, I can't even really take credit for anything that Faithless Brewing is. Um, we both just bowed down to our CEO. Right. Well, and Damon and David, of course. And the podcast finally got its huge, gigantic, super, super greatest of all time goat shout out from Saffron Olive. Dan, how'd that make you feel? <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm going to print out this tweet and, and put it on my wall and frame it. Um, yeah, just out of the blue, Saffron Olive tweeted out, he says, I don't get a chance to listen to as many MTG podcasts as I like, but Faith is Brewing is one that I try really hard not to miss. I mean, it's just... It was, it was so out of left field. I was just like, wow. Like, like I don't know. It's a- On a not particularly eventful week, like, what was, what was the card that you were brewing around most recently? Nothing that was particularly successful or trendy? Like, just out here doing the good work and, and, and being recognized by one of the biggest faces in Magic. When I came back to the game in 2018, 2019, uh, Saffron Olive's videos were one of the first pieces of content that I found. And uh, the fact that he was, you know, representative of the kind of wacky brewing um, that is possible in this game was great. And uh, I know you have very little but good things to say about him. No, we love Saffron Olive. I mean, that was a question two or three weeks ago in our mailbag segment, who was the most impactful brewer of all time. And we all agreed, you know, that without Seth, there isn't the love and joy and appetite for brewing that so many of the people in our community uh, just all share. He's the greatest. The GOAT is amazing. So to to hear that 
he takes time out of his day when he can to tune in is just amazing. Yeah. Please, if the good old great Saffron Olive God is listening to this, please don't think that we're kissing your ass. We're excited <laughs> for it. So thanks a lot. <laughs> we're just lovable fans who got like a pat in the back by a proud father. There's nothing else we can say. Exactly. I think it was the getaway car Vivian's Orko episode oh, mo- that clinched most, it. Oh, most likely, because those are those are <laughs> these guys clearly are insane. By the way, Mord, I'm a hundred percent on your side. Of Vivian's Arkbo is is great. It's not a good card, but it is a great card. Yes, it's terrible. David tested that list that we talked about, and he said the deck was fine, but Vivian's Arkbo was by far the worst card in the. It's just you guys have no faith. No, it's a great cube card. That's the kind of card I love. Like it's a great cube card. You could imagine like a lot of limited style scenarios where it would be very, very good and break the game wide open. Makes sense. But speaking of something that is more grounded in reality and uh, important topics... Uh, Let's get something more grounded in reality. White Middle-Earth conspiracy theory. Well, no, it was, more, <laughs> okay. it was more the concept of representation and diversity being important that I was trying oh, to strike okay. on because I just rewatched um, the Hobbit trilogy. Uh, and uh, that was very Why? true to the... Because it's great. The, the last book could have been a single page in The Hobbit. Spoiler, it was. It was? Or, yeah, the last movie. Yeah, uh, Bilbo gets knocked unconscious, and then when he wakes up, the Battle of Five Armies happened. The battle is over, and he has like a slight recap, and that's it? Yeah, that's, that is exactly what happens. They all posture for battle, and then he, he goes unconscious, and then he's like, oh, I guess there was a battle. Anyway, getting back into the reality of it, uh, Dan, your follow-up on your all-white Middle-Earth quote conspiracy <laughs> theory i don't know if this is a conspiracy but but talk us through this what's what's going on here all right well this is our previous episode so we recorded on thursday episode came out on friday it turns out that all i had to do was wait one day right because on friday if i just waited one day the official statement from wizards of the coast came out and laid all this to rest so what i had said on thursday was that you know i was taken aback by the very first promo art that they released showing you know gandalf and the hobbits all looking very Caucasian. But the promo art they revealed on Thursday was very ambiguous, and they were using some tricks of the light, the dirt and grime of battle, or like the swirling smoke around Frodo, where you really couldn't tell. And so there was this conspiracy idea in my head that maybe they they weren't allowed because of their licensing agreement to actually change how these characters are depicted. So they were going to instead resort to um, artistic sleight of hand and, you know, Little tricks like that so that when you're sifting through your pack of Middle-Earth cards, you're not like, oh my gosh, Middle-Earth's so white. Because we know that Wizards cares about this stuff a lot, and they they would not want that either. Uh, So that was my conspiracy theory, and it turns out that I was both right and wrong. Wrong in the sense that actually it turns out that uh, Aragorn actually is black. And if I had looked more closely at the dirt and grime-covered Aragorn, I would have seen that. I just didn't zoom in far enough. And this was confirmed on in their article on Friday, where they talked about how they worked very closely with Middle-Earth Enterprises, that's the company that, I guess, manages the Tolkien's IP, to stay true to like stewardship of his legacy while also emphasizing diversity and originality. Right? They talk about how diversity, Lord of the Rings, is about all the different peoples of Middle-earth coming together to fight Sauron, finding strength in their diversity. So, you know, they're going to update the story essentially to make it fresh and relevant to a wider audience. And really that that was essentially the message. So, I, I don't really see any problem problem with that from any perspective and definitely no uh 
nothing against you for not recognizing uh, Aragorn in the picture because one, it's tiny. Like the, the the actual size of that piece of art is gigantic, and and where Aragorn is, it's not easy to see. And two, he's got a flaming sword and a shield, and these are not things that I associate with Aragorn. So like, you there's no there's nothing iconic uh, on him to make you go like, oh, there he is. Well, not even that. I, I just couldn't tell right. what you know what his skin color was supposed to be based on the the zoomed out photo that I'd seen. But yeah, the conspiracy can be laid to rest. Obviously, I'm talking a bit tongue in cheek, right? It's just more fun to make it a conspiracy. But the, the serious part was that like we know that wizards care as deeply about this as they should, and I was encouraged to read their statement and to see that yeah, it was important to them to even make the set possible that they'd be able to do it in a way that's consistent with the care they they've put into their world building over the many years of magic's rich and diverse history. Also, I'm going to make my small claim that I'm still not sure it's Aragorn because there's not a single part in the whole book or movies where Aragorn has a shield. But still, I'm happy that... But even if it's not Aragorn, the important part is that one of the guys from the good side and not a Harrod Rim is actually a person of color rather than if it's itself Aragorn. A couple other tidbits, just news from around the Faithless family. We had our good friend Anthony Menino on Three weeks ago, was that right, Mord? Yes, it was beginning of this month, exactly. And he talked about some of his wild deck ideas, and the first one, the one he was the most excited about, was something that he called... Yognoda. Yognoda, that's it. <laughs> Which, you know, it just makes me laugh thinking about it, right? Because he was so excited, right? He had had a few 4-1s, but it wasn't published yet, right? So we tried to hype it up, we let him talk at length about it. I wasn't sure if anyone was going to, like, run with this ball. But it turns out that... People did. <laughs> Yeah, Darshik, who's a wonderful brewer, member of our Faithless family, has been iterating on this for a couple of weeks now, and he finally got that result. He got uh, top 32 in the Saturday Challenge, so the list is finally published. I had to tweet it out just to celebrate his success, and this deck finally struck a chord with people. I mean, I don't know if they think it's a meme or not, I'm still not sure myself, but uh, people are loving this, so it was just fun to see everyone being like, what the heck? <laughs> this is nuts! Just glad to see this deck, you know, like a baby baby deer tentatively standing up and wandering <laughs> off into the wild. Also, I love that they went with the four Winota for Yogmoth plan, just going deep on that. There's a Judith in this list. I'm I'm very much in love. And now that it's too late, uh, I'm just gonna go ahead and back the name uh Winogmoth, but it's too late now. It's too late now. It will be Yognota forever. You got outplayed by Yognota uh-huh. just because of time lapse. Uh-huh. Also Another recent result, just from yesterday, I want to give a big shout out to Cameron Lance, who is another member of the Faithless family and a writer for Owl Central Games. Her team won the Star City Games Baltimore 25K. Um, I believe she was in the modern seat. I want to say I'm four color, but I'm not totally sure about that. Pretty likely. Just awesome results. And I know Cameron's been putting in a ton of effort lately, and it's just awesome to see them get this amazing tournament finish. They are Sometimes I scry on Twitter, a great follow as well. So definitely check out their stuff. There was this tweet a few weeks ago that everybody that won a tournament is just doing it with four color, and I'm sticking to that point. Uh, I mean, I know the one of the hosts of the MTG Grindcast won with Living End, and I know they also had someone on who won with Creativity, so that is factually not true, but all right. Creativity is everywhere. Also, I'm on the boat that please ban Brennan Six. An expressive iteration, so I can just stop hearing people complain about Theorion and I can play Asodius in peace. 
All right, that's that's like I have chase bolts. Yeah, that's a that's a fair trade. I I love uh, Ren and Six more than anything, but if we can just get rid of expressive iteration so that nobody asks me about it ever again, I'm I'm in for that. Yeah, I mean, just bad expressive iteration because every single game I have played yesterday was like, who can draw more expressive iterations? Right, the free two for the free two for one that that makes everything more fun. Yay! And we actually have some literally breaking news. Oh yes. Yeah, <laughs> save the, the biggest, most ominous piece of news for last, because this just came out, what, like half an hour before we started recording. We're recording at uh, 9.57 a.m. What, what am I on? Mountain time? Central time? Uh, yeah, you guys are 10.57 a.m. And uh, eBay is buying TCG player. Okay. So, Zach, you might have been on your ship like a few weeks ago when TCG player bought channel fireball that wasn't like huge news but it was alarming news we're like whoa that's you know end of an era for channel fireball got consumed by tcg player now it's like okay was this was this all planned from the beginning like maybe ebay recognized another another alpha company and was like hmm we must consume it to gain its strength so it's too early to know what the immediate impact is going to be but as a general rule monopolies are terrifying and terrible for everyone involved. As a customer, right, if you're just buying cards, we might not immediately notice the difference. But in the long term, this is not good, right? It's the same with um like Uber coming in, driving all the taxicab drivers out of business. And for a while you don't really notice it because you're still getting where you need to go. The prices are the same, or you know, possibly you've gained some convenience. But over time, right, <laughs> over time the prices go up. Because Uber imposes, raises their fees or whatever, and suddenly there's no other option. There's no taxis left. I mean, more importantly, on a very fundamental level, like, if there's no competition, there's no comparison, right? So whatever they tell you you're paying, you're now paying it, and that's not always the most fun. We have that very situation with this game that we love, but we put up with it because they do such a wonderful job of designing it. But, you know, every now and then we have an event like MTG30 is a perfect example where all of a sudden it's very obvious to us that like they control all of the variables to a great extent. I think in the long term, this is going to be... I, I mean, personally, this is not going to impact me in the slightest because I'm from another continent. Bye-bye! <laughs> I think it's... I think in one of the, of, the tweets I, of the tweets I saw today was exactly... This is not going to affect buyers as much because there's still not a monopoly on that, but it's going to affect people trying to sell cards a lot because they got a monopoly on all outlets of card selling. Yeah, it will definitely affect the sellers first. They'll have to deal with eBay's increased fees and they have different policies on like returns or authentication, that sort of thing. But those will eventually trickle down to the customers. We just might not be able to see it with as much transparency. I think the other two areas where I'm a little concerned are, A, what about content, right? So when TCG Player bought Channel Fireball, they, they said, oh, don't worry, everyone's keeping their job. We'll still be employing Andrea Mangucci, Reed Duke, Aspiring Spike, etc. I think they had to say that, right? Just so that people don't riot immediately. But I would not be surprised if like their one-year plan is to just sort of quietly pull the plug on some of these article writers <laughs> and it's the same with ebay acquiring tcg player like yes they will probably say oh don't worry everyone's keeping their job but over time once people are not paying as close of attention they'll be like why are we paying so many staff right we don't need this many writers we don't need this many people internally right tcg player says that they employ 688 people but like maybe ebay doesn't think they need all those people anymore 
Yeah, to to pull uh, the David while he's not here, if anyone has not uh, seen or recently rewatched the 1999 cult classic Office Space, now would be a great time. Uh, they're going to go ahead and bring in some consultants who are going to help them streamline things around here. Make things run a little more smoothly. Yeah. <laughs> I got a meeting with the Bobs in a couple minutes, so I got to go. Um, but so the other issue that, that might be of concern is like, if you as a customer, you may very well not want to buy from TCG Player. Now, because they're a successful company, they, they tend to like not be too transparent about what's happening inside their company. But over the last year, for example, there was a big unionization push among the employees and TCG Player was pushing back and it was not totally clear how it was resolved. Like, I think that uh, they eventually did unionize, but, you know, we could easily imagine that going a different way, right? Like, they ruthlessly crushed the union and... Yeah, they could have brought in the um, grandpa and the other uh, strike breakers, union breakers, to tell them long stories that don't go anywhere. Like the time when I was a teenager and I had to go downtown. Now, I had to catch the subway to get to downtown. And at the time, the subway cost $1.50. That's Canadian dollars, not American dollars. So I was packing my bag with a mono blue control deck, which was the style at the time. Exactly. <laughs> They're losing suck. He's sitting lost in the sauce. You, we need that meme to be up <laughs> um, <laughs> while, while this is playing. <laughs> but unfortunately, podcasting is an audio format only. But yeah, I guess the point is that as a customer, in some future, it's not other question that we, we may choose to not want to shop from them anymore. And then we'll find that we don't have a choice. Well, for the moment, there are quite a number of other options, right? Um, NRG uh, also sells cards. Uh, I've made a purchase from them recently. That was smooth and great. Face-to-face games in Canada, of course, uh, but they do ship to the United States, as far as I understand. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stores that you can buy cards from. Most of those stores do use TCG Player's integration. They pay for TCG Player to like run their prices for them. Really? Oh, okay. Face-to-face does not. I know that for a fact. Probably because it's in Canadian dollars. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too, like... We might already did my conspiracy for the week, so I'm not going to imagine... TCG players villainous turn two years from now, but I'm just saying monopolies are not a great thing for us. I think that's all the magic news. What about you, Zach? What's your news? We haven't heard from you in a long time. You have disappeared into the midst of the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, I I was taking some notes here. Some of these are uh, out of time, so uh, I'm going to jump over some of these points that I wanted to talk about in the recent magic world uh, because they're no longer uh, time relevant. They're no longer uh, the cutting edge of news. So, um, but the first thing that I noticed when I was listening to a bunch of different podcasts talking about where magic is right now, um, you know, I've been away from the game for seven months, but keeping up to date with podcasts and things like that, it is so wild to me. I haven't gone back and re-listened to that, uh, Christmas episode or whatever it was where we were all ranting together, the Faithless Brewing mega rant episode. I think we had a question about like one wish that you would have for, for magic. And I believe mine was like for the pro tour to be back kind of more pro tour e uh which it which happened and for it to highlight uh more of magic's non-rotating formats uh we also had a question about like what would it take to get pioneer back like to where it was supposed to be and i was like all you have to do is put competitive interest on it and it's crazy to look at what's going on right now and see that most of what's feeding the pro tour is pioneer and modern events and it's not even going to be uh, a modern format for the upcoming uh, regional championships, right? It's going to be Pioneer. 
but a lot of the qualifiers are modern because people love it. You did get that pioneer wish that did come true. I did. If my read is right, like someone was talking uh, on a podcast about like, if you ever see someone advertising a standard uh, RCQ, it's probably some kind of scam to get exactly eight people to enter, right? And then just shark the event or, you know, do some kind of weird insider win trading. But like, it's so crazy to me that, that, that all the stores are being allowed to run these events in whatever format they wish and that the format that seems to be most popular is modern for that. And I'm just over the moon about it. Well, Modern and Pioneer, I think they're, they're both actually quite popular. Yeah, no, no, and I'm glad Pioneer is as well, but like the actual RC is Pioneer, so that's not surprising to me in any way. Yeah, I, I think that what we're finding is that when they announced Pioneer two years ago or whatever it was, the reasons they gave were all valid, right? Like there, there is a need for an in-between format in paper that's competitive, mm-hmm. and Pioneer filled that need. And then the whole paper thing got thorny because of COVID and just everything got worse for a while. The general public's interest in magic was not sustainable when you had to play it only online. But yeah, so now that in the US at least, we've just sort of declared that COVID is over, even though it's 100,000 cases a day. (laughs) No big deal. I mean, yeah, you you can get vaccinated, which you should. (laughs) There's treatments available. But uh, yeah, for the time being, we're just pretending that everything's fine. Yeah, I mean, paper is back and therefore Pioneer is back. And it's encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, I love to see it, and I loved I loved playing Paper Pioneer when it was a thing. I liked playing it online until the combo winter became a little bit too unbearable. Um, but we have course corrected from that, uh, and even Teferi Time Raveler since then has been banned, and it's just a great place to brew. So I'm excited to play some more Pioneer soon when I get the chance. In other news, uh, I unfortunately got stuck with a sapphire badge for mtg30 um because it was the only way i could see if there were tickets available for the crazy modern event but it may be the case that i end up going there so if anyone wants a faithless brewing slash serum visions meetup uh, i believe arun jiggywiggy singh is also going to be there and might be able to transfer me one of his tickets for the big modern events that feed into the beta draft so that'd be really cool and if anyone wants to uh meet either of us i'm sure we'd be happy to uh to hang out because we're going to be around there uh, for it's like the 27th of October, which also happens to be my 33rd birthday. Oh, hey. I know. Hey. It's really cool. You old boomer. Uh, very much so. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're going to go. I mean, I think you should definitely go. I, I think so too. It's a bummer about the events being sold out, but I think it's just going to be a great time. I hope so at least. And at, and at minimum, it's going to be a memorable time. Uh, as I'm getting a little bit older, uh, I'm, I'm starting to feel more that I want to go to more of these events where I'm going to be like, I was at MTG 30, right? And whatever it will be, uh, that, that it will have been great to be there. Got a bunch of other crazy stuff. I'm going to switch this other point into, remember that one week where Prisontron was really great a couple weeks back? That was sweet. I, I was excited <laughs> to see that. Um, but even, <laughs> even, even more so because it annoyed Dan. But really, the point I was getting to is, man, creativity is popping off now. Everybody's playing creativity. Every single freaking everybody. It just... And I had to stop playing Asodius Control because I have no way of beating it. Right. And I saw Waffle Tapa himself running Hello Moonlight in the cyborg as a three-off mm-hmm. to have any chance against that deck. Yep, yep. Um, I am just constantly reminded of when uh, F. Paulus played creativity at some point and then he said to like the chat it's like why didn't anyone tell me that this deck was so good and i was like i have been telling people for months 
So the level of vindication here is uh, is very, very high. Vindication! Yeah, right? Um, and then finally, uh, most of the places I've been traveling around have been uh, New Orleans and Louisiana, where I've been going on a crazy uh, adventure, eating my way through all the different uh, po'boys that the city has to offer. For those who do not know what a po'boy is, it's basically just a big sandwich. It's like the, the New Orleans submarine sandwich made on a particular type of extra chewy bread. Um, but if you ever need any recommendations for food or beverage in New Orleans, uh, I, I got them in spades. And uh, then Cozumel, Mexico is this wonderful island which a lot of the cruise ships visit. And I just have to specifically shout out Jolly Coffee and Late Breakfast, which is like the most Instagrammable, most delicious coffee place with ins- completely monstrous internet i think i was clocking 600 ms down um don't know why what at at a coffee shop at a coffee shop i know in mexico on an island like all these things don't add up particularly and then um there is a really tremendous place that i found dan um after you you had been so close but uh, right in downtown cozumel there's a a bar on a second floor called coco mama and this is like a real Tiki Bar, which is something that I've been looking to find ever since my pandemic interest in cocktails. So they've got unbelievably layered, beautiful drinks with so many different interesting flavors and things like celery syrups and ginger. And, and it's really, really quiet and it's cute. And again, very, very Instagrammable. So I'll, uh, I'll put pictures up on my Twitter probably of uh, each of these places because I like them a lot. And if anyone ever hears this and goes to Cosmel, uh, Jolly. Coffee and Late Breakfast and Coco Mama Tiki Room are phenomenal. Coco Mama Tiki Room. Yeah, I'm interested. I mean, you should be. Yeah, I know it's a very niche thing, but like, I'm a big fan of the Riviera Maya. Been on vacation there a bunch of times because my my mom really loves it, and she got a timeshare there at one point. So I've been down to like Playa del Carmen a bunch of times, and I almost almost met up with Zach there. I know. I think it was, it was, it was the it was, day after yeah, the ship left. Such a close miss. <laughs> it was such a close miss, but. Uh, yeah, and uh, for those who, who don't know, you know, what uh, the modern interpretation of Tiki Places is, it's not like Disney's Tiki Room or, uh, what was that terrible chain called? Rainforest Cafe? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a lot more, no, it's a lot, it sh- what it should be is something a lot more mature and quiet and peaceful and delicious. Respectful Tiki. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not meant to be this over the top dancing birds and and all that nonsense. Yeah, I just love this list of talking points. I mean, we've been trying to like find a day when our recording schedule matches up with your travel schedule for a while. Right. <laughs> I feel like all these thoughts are just like accumulating in your head. That that is exactly how it happened. Whenever I call my dad, he's got like twenty different random unconnected things. He's like bubbling over. He hasn't told me since the last time we talked. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that you sent me your list of magic I know, talking points. It's just like random, completely random stuff. Well, like. I was just, I was just, I was just so happy. You just sent him that, and we were like just ending the podcast, and he was like, and I was like, hey, you want me to talk to Zach about anything? And he was like, no, no, Zach has actually already sent me <laughs> a list of random stuff he wants to do, and he was like a mixture of mumble and confused, and just unable to like land on solid ground. Well, you know what? I, I was just so excited uh, that my runaway brain slash my runaway mouth slash my runaway steamkin were just uh, firing on all cylinders, and I wasn't going to tell them to slow down. 
I mean, just for example, a note here. Scam is such a stupid thing to include in a deck name. Post Malone can't actually have an actual grudge match against somebody he doesn't know. These are the ideas that like live rent-free in Zach's head. <laughs> and they're good ideas. This is where Randy Rootwalla came from. This kind of like me just alone with my thoughts and having stupid crap happen. I mean, you know what? This is making me think, Zach, that we need to have like dispatches from Menacing. You know, <laughs> on your own time, when you're on the ship, you can just like record little little snippets, little mini rants. Just send them <laughs> to us whenever whenever you feel so inclined, and we'll just include them in the podcast. It doesn't even have to be audio. You can just write it, and we can transcribe, and we can just say it. You can just give me an essay of you complaining about what's the meaning of a grudge match. All right, I'll uh, I will I will get on that. We we'll call them a. Uh, Rim shots or whatever. Oh, there you go. That's that is a great name, especially because it'll uh, it'll it'll have the sort of people will mishear that and be like, "Oh, what now?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I said it. <laughs> it's, hey, that's a real term. I use it all the time. I, oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know what the the reason for the season is Dominaria United spoilers, I believe. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm definitely like naming this episode Dominaria Set Review Part 2. Now that we lured you here yeah. to talk about spoilers and give you 30 minutes of just nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so happy to hear your two voices again uh, live, you know, where I can actually respond to you. Because it's so weird to listen to the podcast and to sit there and be like, I have points. I have so many points. I want to speak words with my friends. <laughs> I imagine like we talking and Zach being like, Oh, hold on, about that, and then realizing there's no response, I just like, oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Deep sigh. Yeah, I felt very seen by David when he was saying, uh, you know, if you want to listen to music or podcasts while you're in the gym or on a run, that's fine. And I was literally in the gym listening to him say those words, and I was like, I, am, am I the problem? <laughs> am I the problem? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we should at least spend some of the time on Dominaria cards. Yeah. And there are a bunch of them, and they're actually pretty sweet. And I loved the original visit to Dominaria. It was super nostalgic for me, uh, just just to let Emmy know that uh, even though you just joined the game when it came out, it was super, super nostalgic. And the only downside of it was that when we returned to Dominaria after 15 years of not having a single set put on Dominaria, that they only put one set there. Like, this was the huge return, Richard Garfield designing magic cards on the 25th anniversary, and we got a single set which couldn't possibly cover, you know, the breadth of Dominaria. But instead, they gave us a very realized, fully modern developed magic set with a modern interpretation of Dominaria that I think worked really well. And to that end, uh, the first card we have here leans into one of the big themes, which is legendary cards. Uh, The Dominaria set had a gimmick where every single pack had a legendary card. Uh, And we have now a land that enables your legendary tribal deck. So, Dan, I know you love a legendary tribal deck. So what do we got? We got Plaza of Heroes, a land that has four different tap abilities. It taps for colorless. It taps to add one mana of any color to be spent only on legendary spells. It also taps for one mana of any color that matches a legendary permanent you control. So if you, let's say you have a Ragavan and you want to tap your Plaza of Heroes for Lightning Bolt, you can do that because uh, with that third tap ability, three different ways to make mana. And if that's not enough, you also get a fourth ability, pay three, tap and sacrifice, or rather tap and exile the Plaza of Heroes. Target legendary creature gains hexproof and indestructible until end of turn. So at some point later in the game, you can trade your Plaza in as a protection effect. Is this the first land ever to have four abilities? I don't know, but it's probably close. 
Four abilities is a lot. It's a lot. I mean, second and third are really similar. Uh, no, they're not. They're distinctly different. So let's talk about how they're different. So add one mana of any color, spend this mana only to cast a legendary spell. So let's, look, first of all, I just want to get ahead of this and say legendary spell, right? So weirdly, that includes uh, legendary instants and sorceries. Weirdly, uh, not weirdly, but non-typically, uh, this covers uh, legendary uh, enchantments like Search for Ascanta. Yeah, I mean, I think the relevant thing for one-on-one what are the incentives to play an all legends deck? There's only two. One of them is Kethys. One of them is Bard class. Um, all the other stuff is kind of more commander focused, including um, some of the stuff that they've previewed for this set. That's like, oh yeah, I built a five color legends deck. But it, realistically, for tournament magic, Pioneer and Modern, you're basically looking at just Bard class, just Kethys. And in both of those decks, I would start on for Oath of Nyssa. The biggest question for me is, does Plaza of Heroes cast Oath of Nyssa? And the answer is yes. Second question is, does Plaza of Heroes help me with paying the cost on bard class? And the answer is, kind of. It depends. If you have the oath down, then yes, but if not, it's kind of awkward. Yeah, and besides that, I the other deck that I can see is, if if you remember the good old Karth the Lion decks, they were playing the the land from World of the Spark to Gas Planeswalkers, and this is like a lot better. The beacon. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's not that many decks that have to rely on gimmicky lands like that, right? Like, the tribal decks would play Cavern just because Cavern is good, but you don't see a lot of... I was about to say, Pillar of the Parents has been cut from Niv for more than a year at this point, um, just because it's not worth the restrictions. And I think this will probably end up being the same. Right, so even if there is, like, a big draw to, like, hey, build the All Legends deck, you know, Mox Amber is amazing now. It's not obvious to me that Plaza is going to be a slam dunk inclusion, I think that they kind of realized that, and that's why they just kept adding abilities to it, to make it like a little more useful. All right, we move on now. Uh, we're going to go to the one-drops, but we have some honorary one-drops. The first one I want to talk about here is a card that I, I actually do think will find a home. In Popper. Well, yeah, in Popper, possibly Pioneer, possibly even for Modern, because it has some notes of Gurmag Angler. So we're talking about the Tolarian Terror. 7 mana, 6 and a blue for a 5-5 serpent. This spell costs 1 less for its instant and sorcery card in your graveyard, and it has ward 2. So, a lot better Gurma Angler? Is that what we're looking at? Yes. Yes, pretty much. I mean, this seems super playable for um, Pioneer, in my opinion. For Modern, I feel like the amount of graveyard hate is just going to get this really stranded and it's nowhere near as good as Murktide Regent, so that's not really a shot. But for Pioneer, it seems to make a lot of sense. Let me just challenge us, because this is something that David immediately said too. He immediately said, this competes directly with Delve, so it's it's never going to see play. But it doesn't compete with Delve. It's not directly. It's not actually consuming the same resource. It wants the same thing as Delve. Like, they both want you to fill your graveyard. Telerian Terror leaves the instants and sorceries intact, right? They stay there in the graveyard. So if you want to play your Terror and then cast a Treasure Cruise afterwards, you're welcome to do so. Same thing if you want to play Telerian Terror and then follow that up with a Murktide Regent. That's fine. You have the same instants and sorceries fuel both cards. Now, the more you do that, the more you're going to get crippled by... You know, go blank and pioneer or you know whatever the graveyard hate of choice is in modern right now i'm not actually sure that there's that much graveyard hate played in modern that would actually be effective against uh telerian terror murktide strategy but yeah i think that this is worth a closer look mm. and uh to your credit uh if you cast dig through time or treasure cruise right and you delve away your graveyard and one of the cards you pick up as a telerian terror 
you're playing a Turbo Xerox deck. Hopefully some of the other cards you picked up refill your graveyard at a fairly rapid pace, which they tend to do. Yeah, I mean, that's just it, right? Like, it's not really a question of how quickly can I get the Tolarian Terror down. It's like, I'm planning to cast two to four spells on my turn. The last one will be a 5-5 five, five ward that I only paid one mana for. Or, you know, I'll leave, a, I'll leave mana open for Stubborn Denial or something afterwards. Right? Like, yes, you can one-shot my graveyard several times, and I'll still eventually rebuild enough to cast my Tolarian Terrors. That's, that's what I'm envisioning for this. The fact that it doesn't exile, so if it doesn't run the second copy, yeah. so playing for it is a lot easier. Is what makes it here on turn four, you might just be able to slam both of them, like for two mana each, and just have them stick there while still having your graveyard. So hypothetically, what if I took my Murktide deck and just replaced the Murktides with Tolarian Terrors? I will go out your, I will go to the USA and personally make you realize you're making a huge mistake. I think the biggest problem there is that it doesn't have evasion of any kind. The flying on Murktide region is huge. Like, huge. Like, it's not... I mean, besides the fact that it grows, the flying is a giant deal. So... Yes, but this costs half as much. I mean, the difference between one and two is enormous. Yeah, but this is only standard sorceries. Yeah, and, and the, the permission in the Murktide deck is so good. And the removal, right? That it just... I don't know. I don't think that works. But I think the huge part is the fact that Murktide... Like, for example, yesterday I played against five or six Murktides during the night during a stream. And I saw, like, two 8-8 Murktides and ten six or 7-7 seven, seven Murktides. And then also, in the same format where Murktide is legal, Unholy Heat is legal, where if it's kicked, it's a three mana to kill this, which is not too hard for your opponent. And Solitude only being two, and yeah. a lot of stuff. And Leyland Binding is, of course, legal. But I'm excited to see what happens within Pioneer. Exactly. I'm mostly a fan of this in Pioneers for the Zerg Strategies or a plan B for Phoenix in games where getting Phoenix against, like, Deafening Silence is unavailable. Or just a non-Phoenix blue-red deck, because uh, the Phoenix decks are loading up with some percent, like some number of Ledger Shredders and uh, Thing in the Ice right now, and it may be the case that we... Thing in the Ice is dead. Well, we just may get a larger diversity of different threat packages in the semi-Phoenix decks. Okay. Those are all fair points. I'm, I'm going to aim higher and say both formats, both Modern and Pioneer, but time will tell. Exactly. And going forward, we have our second honorary one-drop, which is one I forced Dan to put in here even if he didn't want to. Because this hasn't been spoiled yet, it's from, like, Wizards accidentally release a TXT with, like, 46 different spoilers. Among them, these are confirmed, but not conf spoiled with a card, just with a TXT. And we're talking about Leyland Binding. Five and a white for an enchantment with flash, so six mana, that has Domain. Cost one less for each basic land type, which means you can cast it for as cheap as for one white mana. And when it enters the battlefield, it takes a target non-land permanent and opponent controls until the binding leaves the battlefield. So if you have five colors, or if you have the five land types, this is one white mana for an Oblivion Ring with flash, which is worth four mana in general, or three to say the least. It's shocking, right? I mean, this is just absolutely shocking. With one Triumph, this is worth three mana, which is... Almost cheap for this effect. Try a plus shock and get you this for two mana, which is absurdly cheap. I cannot believe that this has flash. Every time I read it, I'm like, this card would be fine without flash. And the fact that they actually put flash on it, they're like, no, no, this is designed for constructed. Go play this in your constructed deck. Do it now. Yeah. So when I saw this was in the enigmatic Discord, and this is just 
the Nats for enigmatic, not only in modern, but also in Pioneer, mostly in Pioneer, where you're already playing a lot of Triumphs, and you're playing that this five-color full of Triumph mana bases with the two-man enchantment that keeps your domain. <laughs> so you're saying that, uh, if I understand this right, because Leyline Binding... Costs six. Mana costs six. You can sacrifice it to enigmatic incarnation, get a seven drop into play? Yeah, and more importantly, a seven drop... Like, and you will say stuff like, okay, but more, you play this to get rid of an opponent's chase or a Teferi, and then you get a 7-drop. Okay, but my 7-drop could be a Tarka or Opposition Agent. Yep. Yeah, I mean... Whatever I'm getting, giving them back, is worth less than the 7-drop I could get at instant speed. So I think what's so revolutionary about this is that, okay, you, that might sound like, oh, kind of a weird synergy thing, but... We're talking about, we're already playing Enigmatic. The deck is built around that. Leyline Binding, I'm just going to say this is the best card in the set. I mean, we haven't seen the whole set yet, but this, to me, feels like the best card in the set in both Modern and Pioneer. It's stunningly good, and that I think you would just play four of this, even if you just chose not to put seven drops in your deck, you would just still play four. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's just an amazing removal for sure, three mana, with flash. Or one mana. I mean, you can just cost one mana, especially in Modern. Yeah, in modern, of course, in modern it's cost one or two. Like at base level, this is a two mana spell in modern. In pioneer, I'm seeing more as a three, maybe two. In modern, it's a two, maybe one. So in enigmatic, the only cost you're paying is that you have to put a seven drop in your deck, and that you might occasionally draw a seven drop. But in exchange, you get this super powerful line. Also, that deck regularly gets up to seven mana, and we'll just cast the thing. Like that, that deck is really good at also just drawing into enough mana to cast whatever the seven drop is. So it's not even a disaster. All right, so let's set Enigmatic aside for a second. What do you guys think about this? Like, blue-white control in Modern. Well, I feel like they should just adopt their mana base ever so slightly, and now you have access to one mana Flash Oblivion Ring. Yeah, well, they've been stretching usually to accommodate uh, X equals four or five on Prismatic Ending, so it's not much of an extra shot to get to this point. I mean, we're talking about, like, now a slight tweak, like a minor tweak to the mana base, but you do have to like decide how many one-for-one -one effects do I want, and is this better than Prismatic Ending? Is it better than Solitude, or like whatever? I think it's better than Prismatic Ending. I don't think it's better than Prismatic Ending. I mean, it's not, not on turn one, but yeah, yeah. It's not better on turn one, but it's better on almost any turn that isn't turn one. I think this being removable, like for example, Prismatic Ending is a good card in the mirror of like in four color, or Prismatic Ending is a good card in a lot of scenarios where this won't be, because it getting bounced or anything is such a no is like it getting bounced or removed, it's really annoying. Well, it can't be Prismatic Endinged, so that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. The fact it cannot be Prismatic Ending and if they just bounce it with something, you can like as as long as it's not exactly the thirty three, you can just replay it because it has flash. Right. Why does it have flash? That's what I'm saying. It's it insanity. Flash is so freaking good. I know. It's 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 insane. That's why I'm like I'm I'm tempted to like really just put my foot down and say I think this is better than Prismatic Ending. But I don't think that's true. But just the flash is so so crazy. But the fact the fact you can even make us consider that, or even, let's say it's not better than ending, or that it is, it's at least the third or fourth best removal in modern right now. Right. Like, it's fighting with stuff like March and Holy Hit in its spot. Like, it's that good. Yeah, it is. Like, I think now, it's way better than March. Now Blue-White has access to Unholy Heat, essentially. Uh, except it can even get rid of enchantments and artifacts. Like, yeah, it gets rid of anything. I know. It's, it's crazy. So the reason it has Flash is because they want Domain to be a supportive mechanic in this set. And in order to do that, right, Domain is kind of clunky. It takes time to set it up, right? You got to search for lands or draw the right shocks and triumphs. And there's a bunch of, like, much clunkier Domain cards in the set. 
But in order to like make that a viable archetype, you gotta just give domain something absolutely busted that will just keep them alive. And Flash is a way to make leyline busting, <laughs> leyline busted, <laughs> leyline binding. <laughs> it's a way to make it insane, right? And that's just for like standard or pioneer. But when you take that to modern, it's like, oh my god, you know? yeah. <laughs> like, what mana Flash? It's not even a vindicate because it doesn't destroy. It exiles. Now there's like trade offs, right? Like one of the trade offs is that. If you are going to build this five-color domain mana base, you're vulnerable to Blood Moon, and unfortunately, Leyline does not work great against Blood Moon, because as soon as the moon comes down, you lose all your land types, and then it costs six again. Yeah, float, float the one, and then you realize that your spell now costs six. So that is not going to work out great, but I think despite that, I mean, this is the best one-for-one removal I can even think of. What's going to stop it from like totally reshaping the format is that modern to a great extent has already adopted to like being resistant to one for one removal. So we don't play that many threats where we just get got if they kill it. But this is just the best option now. And I think it will not only go into blue white enigmatic, but it could even just spawn new archetypes. So let's say this goes into blue white. This is like this is what I say it's generally a two drop because, for example, in in blue white, I'm playing one Rogue in Triumph and one. um, what a grave. Yeah, I could add a second Triumph if at all necessary, but that's exactly what I was looking for. Like, it's gonna cost two mana, and for two mana, that's a great ratio for this, right? Triumph and Dragon in Triumph for two Water Grave, have all my colors. Play this for two mana is more than worth it. Alright, well, I'm predicting greatness for Leyline Binding. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, might be the best card in the spoiler, at least so far. The specific play pattern in Blue White will probably be to re- fetch a blue triumph and then a blue shock on two so that this costs two but you can also play counterspell just so that we get that clear like you're you're gonna yeah it's gonna be on domain four uh at that point exactly so calling up counterspell or is already is amazing and this is beautiful against murktide like a one or two man answer with flash against murktide yeah but then the next turn if you have another fetch you can fill in that last domain and all of a sudden you're holding up counterspell and this which is even more ridiculous yeah, I mean, you go turn one Triome, turn two Triome plus Binding if they don't, and it, you'll still hold your Counterspell mana up. Yeah, so like, there you if go. you have to two, fetch. Two blue Triomes. Like, it's just, it's so incredibly forgiving. Yeah, love that. But anyway, that's that's just like a boring deck like blue-white. I'm more interested in, okay, what about just five-color insanity? Sure. Domain or whatever, or like some kind of Enchantress deck. It works with that Zura card that they previewed. It does all kinds of stuff. It's like a super interesting game piece, and the fact that it's also like the best possible removal spell is very exciting as a brewer. Yeah. Five-color BTL control, here we come. I just want to get a position agent with my enigmatic. I'm a simple guy. Yeah. I don't know what are good seven drops that are in the format besides Oppo Agent. Um, agent of Treachery, you mean, not Opposition Agent. Opposition yeah. Agent is a different card. Opposition Agent is a 3 mana 3 2, I'm taking Audition of Treachery. There we go. And Atarga. Next up, we have an awesome cube card. It's Rona's Vortex. Danny's in love with this. Blue for an instant. Return target creature or planeswalker you don't control to its owner's hand. It's also got Kicker for 2 and a black. If the spell was kicked, put that permanent on the bottom of its owner's library instead. So, unsummon for your opponent's stuff, but also for their planeswalkers. But also, four mana Vindicate? Instant speed, though. Instant speed is such a big difference over sorcery speed. So, calling it a Vindicate is a little misleading because we don't play Vindicate. It's like Vraska's Contempt or Vapor Snag, just to use cards that we think of as playable. It's weird that, like, 
the two cards we're most excited for as brew around cards are on the face of them just removal spells but these are synergy (laughs) cards that open up new avenues for me like i'm i'm always like a big kicker fan you've heard me rant about roost of drakes a bunch of times and that is indeed what i will be doing with this for starters but even apart from that just like pretend that no kicker synergy card has ever been printed this is still just like super super flexible i mean in terms of like how dead is the card exiling is the best putting something on the bottom of their library is almost as good right it's functionally the same so this is like the hardest possible removal for format at instant speed that's like not even that expensive and the fail mode of like okay just get a tempo play cast it for one who knows what that's doing is that buying me time is that triggering my phoenixes is that triggering my religious shredders is that giving me what i need to delve this turn i'm just a huge fan of off color kicker by the way if we can just 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 gush about kicker for a second for a long time they were doing like almost exclusively only like on color or generic mana kicker and all it did was make spells bigger but i love this old school invasion block style of like no you get in like a a very sideways upgrade the fact that it involves in planeswalkers is just an ins- small tidbit that makes the card so much better because four mana to remove a planeswalker is pretty good deal yeah it's a disgusting tempo play uh, even even on the single blue, like for a lot of decks, it's like they play their five mana planeswalker. You're like bounce it for one, and then you know do whatever after that. Yeah. So in modern of ages past, one of the matchups that would happen very often is like some kind of Jun deck against some kind of cryptic command deck. The weird play you had to watch out for was you have a Lily in play. Both players are quote unquote empty handed. You uptick your Lily, and then they respond with cryptic command, bounce your Lily, and then you have to discard your Lily. And that's like going to happen now on playing this. You just have to be aware of this. It's a little trick, right? <laughs> if Rona's Vortex sees a lot of play, which I actually think it will because it's, I mean, it's so cheap. Watch out for this when you're casting your Liliana of the Veils and, and using that plus one. So very high on Lilian Binding, very high, at least for me, on Rona's Vortex. You're just excited for it. And I'm just happy we might see the return of that great old play pattern of Lily Blast assuming play my land. Assuming, okay, I'm just going to blast this or nothing and just getting my Lily bounce and crying to Oblivion. That's the sort of mistake that only happens once. Uh, some people aren't <laughs> as good at learning as you are. That's a mistake that only happens a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah. All right, next up, another one drop. This one is a creature. It's an adorable creature. This is like the most beautiful art I have seen in like years of magic. Phoenix Cheek. One red for the most beautiful phoenix you have ever seen. Flying Haste. The Phoenix Cheek can't block, and when it attacks, and whenever you attack with three or more creatures, you may pay double red, and if you do, it returns from the graveyard to the battlefield, tapped and attacking with a plus one, plus one counter. So one mana, one one flying haste is nothing to write home about, but a returning one one that becomes a two-two becomes a lot more interesting. Yeah, once you add the this can't block clause, the card almost ceases to be a creature right like it's not worth as much you can never chump block with it Uh, it's just kind of like a single-minded card so in that sense like that's a little bit of a bummer however one one flying haste for one i mean we've never seen a card like that that's a rate you just would never see that's so generous the fact that this comes back from the graveyard so how do you do that well i mean like let's say you're just discarding it to a ledger shredder three or more creatures is a big ask when you've already but three or more creatures in your ledger shredder deck uh, it feels like a big ask. I don't think this is a, an E-set card. I think this is a mono-red card. I think this is Kumano, turn yes. one Kumano, and you turn two Phoenix Cheek plus another one drop, and you turn three, something like chain like a wood three drop, and if any of those die, the Phoenix Cheek will come back on turn four. 
definitely pairs greatly with Kamano, picking up that plus one, plus one counter. Um, I'm thinking more for Pioneer here, of course. Um, but yeah, right. the, is it Tempo with Soulscar Mage, Swift Spear, Ledger Shredder? I guess Expressive Iteration is gone now. I just don't think that deck is ever going to have three creatures. Phoenix Chick picks up cards. Very nicely, like Curious Obsession, if you want to go that way. Evasive, guaranteed damage. Like, it's, it's a really nice little tool. And whether you... Okay, Zach, I know you're saying you don't think you'll get three creatures. But, 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 no, exactly what I was about to get to is what about playing it with our, with your bestest, favoritest card ever, Squee? Now you're talking three or more creatures. Squee! Exactly. Exactly. Squee immediately gives you two creatures. Squee's yep. amazing. Um, doesn't. I'm just saying, this in a red deck with Squee is going to be annoying. Yeah, doesn't work great with Den of the Bugbear just because it's infinite mana, but uh, Mutavault would be able to help you out. Just keep those things in mind in terms of this mono red shell is like you need something that's actually going to pop out a bunch of creatures but uh you can hide creatures in your mana base that are efficient yeah i mean it's, it's good enough on the front face eventually they'll have to deal with it and then when they do if you ever return it now it's a 2-2 flying haste they'll have to deal with that too it's a good role player david has a note here that he says it's probably still not playable but slightly better than it looks yeah, also the art is so adorable, I'm willing to just play it because it has a helmet as part of its egg. <laughs> We're not so heartless. It's faithless brewing, not heartless brewing. Heartless brewing. <laughs> All right, we move down to the Rundevelt Horde Master because this relates to our discussion of Squee on Friday, which I think both Mord and I were very excited about. We like Squee on its own merits, but what if there was a new Goblin Lord? Well, it turns out there is. Runedevelt Horde Master, one in a red creature goblin warrior, 1-1, one, one. other goblins you control get plus one plus one. Whenever Runedevelt Horde Master or another goblin you control dies, exile the top card of your library. If it's a goblin creature card, you may cast that card until the end of your next turn. That's that's some great timing. Like, end of your next turn is so much time. Yeah. So even if your opponent removes them at sorcery speed... I'm blown away by how generous this card insane. is, and I'm happy. Is this the first Goblin Lord for two mana? Like, all Goblin Lords are worth three, right? Yep, as far as I know. Yeah, first proper Lord. I think Battlecry Goblin would be the other one, but that's not so good. Well, and it's also, it's not strictly speaking a Lord. You have to keep investing mana into it, right? Which is not, uh, yeah. Or, not Battlecry Goblin, the other one. The one that just has a Battlecry. The Red Red to... With Battlecry. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh! Yeah, but you the Battlecry Goblin is the really good one from AFR, that's right? That's the good one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good one. So this, if you go this into turn 3 Squee, you're immediately attacking for 6 on a board that if your opponent board wipes it, you just get a full new ha- you just get like a full new set of creatures. And if they doesn't remove it, that Squee's gonna get out of hand really fast. Also, the mana cost here is friendly towards Goblin Warchief. I know that that card has not been seeing a lot of play in modern Goblin decks, but it is legal in Pioneer. So I, I don't know what the Goblin deck will look like uh, if and when it comes together in Pioneer, but just remember that Dominaria uh, had a ton of really good reprints, including Skirk Prospector, Goblin Warchief, and the favorite Goblin of mine, uh, CGN Commander. So this is kind of nuts in that, yeah, in that, with that combination of cards with the new Squee, uh, there could be a mono-red or possibly two-color goblin deck that is very powerful. So I'm 
starting to ponder if these two new playsets, the modern goblin deck shifts a bit of its gears, like it's still having access to Matron, still having access to a number of ringleaders and the snoop combo, but rather than play like a big midrange deck, they just switch to an aggro deck that has a combo finish with snoop, and stuff like turn 1 Vial into turn 2 literally any creature, into turn 3 um, Horn Monster, um, Monster with the Vial plus Squee attack you for like 10, and if you ever tap down to deal with this stuff, I'm gonna snoop you out. I agree. I think that's what's so revolutionary about the Runedevelt Hornmaster is that, okay, first of all, it's a lord, so you're thinking tribal aggro. But that's not good enough. Tribal aggro kind of sucks. So they give you this ability that, what does it do? Well, it adds grinding value, right? It adds card advantage, uh, similar to the way that Conspicuous Snoop adds card advantage. So now you can survive some removal. They do all that at a perfect spot on the mana curve. I love that Goblin Warchief cost reduction because that also plays into what we can call the combo aspect of the Hornmaster, right? Like, if you have a goblin combo in your deck, whether that's Snoop plus Harbinger plus Kiki or something else, the Horde Master gives you so many ways to look for it, right? I'm imagining having Sirk Prospector in play so I can sacrifice my goblins for mana whenever I want. Every time I do that, I exile the top card of my library with the Horde Master. It counts on tokens, so if I'm like sacking my Mog War Marshal token or my Squee token, I could like maybe look five cards deep instantly for whatever piece I'm missing for my goblin combo. Yeah, it's going to be pretty annoying to board wipe. Yeah, you can be sacrificing tokens to cast a ringleader, which then digs another four. So it's like, if you imagine that you sacrifice two or three tokens, you get to dig three cards, and then you play the ringleader, and that digs another four cards, and it's, yeah, you, you can find what you're looking for. Yeah, or maybe it's the other way around. Instead of having a, a, an aggro plan, they just go full on mirroring plan with... Hornmaster taking them over the top and a few, like they just up the number of Kiri Prospectors to make sure they can sack when needed and just play for Hornmaster for Squee and just try to grind you into the ground. Yeah, I'm, I'm just still trying to process this card. It's so powerful, both for Modern and for Pioneer, right? I think the Pioneer Goblin deck is going to be very real. Turn one, Foundry Street Denizen or Legion Warboss, or not Legion Warboss, Legion Loyalist. Turn two, you got Hornmaster, you have Conspicuous Snoop, you have Battlecry Goblin. Turn three, you have. Squee, you have Warchief if you want that, you have Rebel Master if you want that, you have tons of options now. I just need there to be an M. Hayashi-style mono-red goblin brewer who can go through every possible permutation of just slamming in four of every good goblin in Pioneer until they find the, the good version of the deck. Ten of the Bugbear is a goblin, right? Yes. It's not a goblin, but it makes a goblin, I believe. I don't think it's a goblin. I mean, but... Bug bears are goblins, so maybe... They're goblinoids. Yeah, it's a straight two goblin. Oh, there you go. Gross. That's really good. It's a goblin that makes goblins. Yep. All right. In. Let's go. Sold. Maybe I will be the M. Hayashi mono-red goblin player. Also, we have Krenko, right? Yep. In Pioneer? Well, at least one Krenko. I don't know which Krenko. We have the good Krenko. We have the... I don't know. It's the bad Krenko. Yeah, we have the bad Krenko. Which is the bad Warboss. Right. The one two that gets counters and makes one once equal to the counters. Yeah, you were thinking of the the, the good Krenko mob boss. Whereas we have Krenko Ten Street Kingpin. Alright, so we're gonna skip down now to a series of kicker cards. And I wanna just treat these together because I, the first comment I want to make about all of them is that for as much as I meme about Roost of Drakes, the card is actually quite good. And I've said for a long time now that the thing that Roost of Drakes is missing is cheap, decent cards with kicker one. Right, cards that you can kick for like a total of two mana. 
And they haven't shown me that card yet, right? They've shown us various cards that cost one to cast or two to kick or two to cast and one to kick. And that's pretty good, right? That's not everything I asked for for Christmas, but it's like, yeah, I guess it was on my list somewhere. I'm not going to complain about these. So we can always consider them for Rooster Drakes. So that's at the forefront of my mind, but they're also priced to move as like regular cards. And maybe we can just discuss them in that context. <laughs> so the first one I want to highlight is Joint Exploration, one in a blue instant. Scry two, then draw a card. If this spell was kicked, you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. The kicker cost is green. So the two modes are one in a blue for deliberate, I guess we would say, instant speed preordained for two. If you want to pay one blue green, you get to deliberate, that is scry two, draw a card, put a land in. So like an instant speed grow spiral, instant speed uro with a scry bonus. I mean, I'm I'm happy that this is good for your Roost of Drake's deck. I don't see it being particularly useful for much else. Um, just because scry two, then draw a card for two mana is just not a playable effect. For one mana, it's pre-banned in modern. Two mana, like you need a you need a little bit more for two yeah. mana. Yeah, for two mana, we know it's unplayable because we have this card in the format and nobody's playing it. So the question is, if the kicker is good enough, right? Like we have literally two mana, scry two, draw a card. The question is, is the versatility of the kicker making it worth it? Right. I I would say that um, kicker synergy aside, for the BTL, the theoretical BTL domain deck. Um, this might be more playable than I think it is because, you know, it's just a reasonable card to have in your deck, a little bit of selection, and the, like, having three mana up on turn three, if you don't have to interact with what your opponent's doing, uh, you can set up for, like, bring to light the next turn, potentially for all five colors, to respond to whatever they've just done, and that's not worthless. It gets you closer to a rule of eight on Growth Spiral if you've decided that's what your deck needs to do. Yeah. Although paying three for it as like your main plan is not great. So it's that optionality is going to determine how successful joint exploration is right. on its own merits. But I, I do feel like there's going to be a Kicker Synergy card coming. They haven't spoiled it yet. I think that between Roost and whatever the bonus Kicker Draft Around card is, we should build a Kicker deck. I will be doing that at least. Yeah. Well, we should we should each play the kicker deck, even if we don't build it. You can build it for us and then tell us that we're bad at playing when we fail with it. Some other cards you might consider for that deck. Uh, Yavamaya Iconoclast, one and a green for a 3-2 trample. If you kick it for an additional red mana, it gets plus one, plus one, and haste. So two mana, 3-2 trample, or three mana, 3-2 trample haste. Echoes of Flint Hoof Boar. Unfortunately, you lose that third toughness that Flint Hoof Boar has, so you're, you're vulnerable to stomp now. But you do get Trample, so this would be an option. Um, you know, if I take my Goblin Bushwhacker Rooster Drake's deck and splash into green, I could conceivably play Yavimaya Iconoclast. Alternatively, if I'm going the control route, right, maybe I just need cards that stay alive. We have Fires of Victory, one in a red instant. Fires of Victory deals damage to target creature or planeswalker equal to the number of cards in your hand. If you kick it for an additional two and a blue, you get to draw a card first before dealing the damage. So then it's now potentially a two for one. But this would be a card whose role in the deck would be to just early the game, trades one for one with whatever the opponent plays, gets you to that late game where you can start using like the actual paying the kicker to pull ahead. Not a great card, but a tool. And talking about one mana kickers, just recently spoiled a few minutes ago, we have Stronghold Arena. So, actually, there, there seems there's a card named Coastal Piracy I have never heard about, which seems relevant. 
So we have Stronghold Arena, one and a black with Kicker for one green or one white. So and or. When Stronghold Arena enters the battlefield, you gain three life for each time it was kicked. So for four mana, you get the enchantment plus six life. Whenever one or more creatures you control did combat damage to a player, you may reveal the top card of your library and put it into your hand. You lose life equal to its mana. You, you lose life equal to its mana cost. So you get a dark confident trigger with every whenever a creature connects to your opponent for two mana. I don't know what to make a stronghold arena. I, I feel like the kicker is a complete distraction. Like the kicker is in weird colors, right? You're talking about a black enchantment for two that asks you to kick it with green or white mana to gain life. But the the main effect of the arena wants you to play like a aggro deck, right? Like a bunch of one drops. So why do I care about gaining three life? Well, I mean, obviously it's to offset the life loss from the trigger, but I feel like that's kind of meant to lead you astray. This is telling me to play like mono black aggro, or maybe like black red aggro with the phoenix chick that we talked about, or maybe something like blue black with evasion. Yeah, I just think like the combination of going turn one roost of breaks into a stronghold arena on turn three, after any kicker, it just catches go off really fast. Like any creature you play on turn two into a turn three, make a break plus develop a coastal piracy can get you really far ahead. Yeah, I suppose. I guess what I want to say is that Stronghold Arena is good enough, even if it didn't have Kicker, this would be an interesting card. You know, if you don't care at all about Rooster Drakes, just forget the card exists, you should still consider Stronghold Arena. I think this is a unique effect. Obviously, it's not great to follow up my, you know, aggressive one drop with two mana do nothing card draw, but it's not terrible. Like, it's not great, but it's not terrible. <laughs> it gives you a new angle. Whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage, it's actually possible to trigger this twice in one turn. If you have first strike and normal strike, if you have double strike, you're actually going to trigger this twice in the same attack step. But I like it. I don't love it. I just think it's mildly interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize it had that new modern clause uh, whenever one or more. I thought this was actual coastal piracy, I so I was amazed by how generous no, I think this it's was. And, well, I don't know about necessary. I'm just saying I'm sad. Because I hate the one time per turn oh, yeah, clause. Like it just it just always bothers me on any in any context. But it, that doesn't mean it's not a good card. Okay. Yeah, maybe just one for that's gonna get forget forgotten in the ages. Not by Dan. Not by Dan. Never it's a kicker card gonna get forget forgotten by Dan. <laughs> so after that we have a card that we thought about skipping, but I just saw a card an interaction that actually made me sort of like it, which is Founding the third path. Which some people are, going to say, are saying it's amazing in Pioneer Phoenix. The Tuman Enchantment Saga with Read Ahead. Are they really saying that? That's surprising to me. The thing is, so... I don't care about if it's played in, in, in Pioneer Phoenix. I just love the interaction this has with the Tuman Anticipate that if you cast it from anywhere else, it, it draws you three cards. I never remember the name of that card. See the truth. See the truth. Okay. All right, well, let's let's read the card. This is a reader, and it has read ahead. <laughs> but we will read it in order. We will not skip ahead. One in a blue, Enchantment Saga. Chapter 1. You may cast an instant or sorcery spell with mana value 1 or 2 from your hand without paying its mana cost. Chapter 2. Target player mills 4 cards. Chapter 3. Exile target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard. Copy it. You may cast the copy. And... That templating means that you do have to pay the mana when you're doing the chapter three. It's not a free cast. I mean, I don't like anything about this, so I don't understand why people are happy about it. 
Because this is a mill fort and it allows you to cast a treasure cruise from the graveyard. That's mostly what they're what they're planning on because of Pioneer. So it has a read ahead, which means that you can start on whatever chapter you like. The full value mode would be that chapter one, I cast this, I paid two mana to cast Founded the Third Path, and I immediately get to play a two mana spell from my hand. So even though I've two for one myself, or one for two myself, uh, I didn't lose tempo, right? I got to play my strategic planning, or as Emmy's pointing out, I could play See the Truth on the same turn. What do I gain from that? Well, I get four cards in the graveyard next turn, which again is like an investment in the future. It's an investment toward Delve, we could say. And then in chapter three, then I get paid off. Then I actually get get my card back that I spent on Founding the Third Path. I get to Snapcaster any card in my graveyard. It's value, but I mean, that's the best case scenario. I'm a little concerned that if that's if the best case scenario doesn't actually go up on cards, then I feel like the ceiling is not as high as it could be. Right. Yeah, yeah, this is mostly a tempo card and the fact that like it's a sort of snap, a snapcaster when needed. But yeah, maybe just not good enough, but I think the interaction with Seer Truth is at least a bit fun. That is a very cute interaction. Uh, the other interaction that I thought worked, but actually doesn't, is that the chapter one does not cast Crashing Footfalls. Right? It has to be exactly mana value one or two. Yeah, they pulled the Urza Saga trick on you. Uh, if they ever start listing out the numbers, like you see here, um, you can bet that there's a specific zero or null cost that they're trying to avoid. It's the same as Urza Saga having that weird text where it says zero or one. It's like, well, why didn't they just say one or less? It's like, well, there, here's why. Yeah, yeah, this would a two mana for Toll would have been really good. All right, we have time for a couple more. Zach, do you have time for a couple more? I do. I had to move inside to plug in, so um, I am covered in terms of uh, power. Oh, okay. All right, we have time for a couple more. Zach has found a cozy spot inside the lively New Orleans cafe. <laughs> um, we'll hit some of these higher mana cost cards. This next card here looks very, very interesting. It's a three drop called Temporary Lockdown. One white, white enchantment. When Temporary Lockdown enters the battlefield, exile each non-land permanent with mana value two or less until Temporary Lockdown leaves the battlefield. Hidetsugu meets Mono White. Hidetsugu consumes all only hits CMC1. This hits CMC2. Or less. This is like a calling ritual, right? I love this card. I love this card. It's amazing against Rhinos. It's amazing against Agro. It's amazing against Shun Saga. It's pretty good against Murtide. It's amazing against... Hence Hammer is just like, screw you and everything you ever own. I mean, I think this card is actually quite good. It's even amazing against Rhinos. So it, it does hit tokens, right? It's not non-token yeah. permanents. No, no. Non-land permanent with one value two or less. And the rest part is... I saw people saying like, yeah, but Folklore is going to play this, it's going to exile your Abundant Growth and such, and I'm like, so? You blink the lockdown instead of the Abundant Growth and you get a trigger? It's the same. You still get your triggers if you bounce these. So there's no choice involved, right? Like, when, when Temporary Lockdown comes in, you must exile everything, including your Renin 6, including your Abundant Growth. All the Spring Leaf Drums go away, all the tokens go away. I think it's an amazing card. I can't, I, I just think it's great. Uh, it's certainly something we're going to have to see if it finds applications. I mean, it, it feels like the most powerful version of, of this effect we've ever seen. I'm trying to think of anything comparable, and I can't find it for three mana. Pernicious Deed is not legal, the Culling Ritual comes to mind. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a three mana Oblivion Stone effect, which could be a game changer. I think it's really good. I actually think it's really good. I think it will see play in Modern. It will see play in Pioneer. 
like the, the human snake, the mono white human sees this and cries itself to sleep, right? Yeah, the question that I'm wondering about, and this may be going way too far, is that if between temporary lockdown and leyline binding, if these become like removal spells of choice, like what what's the counterplay? Like I, these are both enchantments. So if you have a card that just wrecks enchantments, now is the time to start working that into your game plan. And I'm not I haven't thought far enough ahead to figure out what that card is. Yeah, we're gonna see how the meta adapts to it, but I think for example, Ragnos Sacrifice sees this card in Pioneer and just cuts, opens, tokens, constructs, bloods, harvesters, all goes away. And you're Ragdos, you're not gonna get rid of my enchantment easily. Yeah, uh, what is that card that does it? Firika's Libation? Yeah, two mana. No, the wood one. Two mana, remove a creature or enchantment, pay, lose life equal to its cost. The, the playable one. But yeah, I actually love this card. I think it's really interesting, and that's good. All right, next card up is a domain card. It's Lanawar Green Widow. Two and a green for a 4-3 spider with reach and trample. Nothing special about that, but it has the ability to come back from your graveyard. That costs 8 mana to activate. You return Lanawar Green Widow from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped, and then it gains an exile clause, so you can only do it once. However, that 8 mana activation is reduced by 1 for each basic land type you control. So if you have the full domain, you can essentially rebuy the Green Widow for only three mana for um is that right yeah for only three mana <laughs> which is the same as it cost the reason i mention this is because you know, i'm very highly on lele binding as we said that means that you know we're incentivized to now acquire the full domain what's the payoff well you know we have cards like tribal flames in modern we have cyano draco territorial kavu in pioneer what do we have well we need something to reward us beyond just lele binding and i think green widow could be a piece of that puzzle Obviously, it's not too exciting to cast it, but it brawls decently in combat. You know, it will probably trade for something. And if you have some way to incidentally discard it or mill it, then you're just going to pick it up for free later in the game. And I think that's actually quite promising. If you want to go really, really deep, you can actually plan to, like, blink this, and then you'll get around the Exile Clause, and you can just have it forever. But I think, as a baseline, I would look at it as maybe, like, a couple cards to be, like, a free finisher in a domain deck that's a controlling domain deck. Yeah. Talking about um, the domains thing, the domain removal, the Leyline Binding might actually be great in just the domain we have right now in modern, giving them access to a one mana removal. Like turn two, Kabui to turn three, Draco plus remove whatever you play on turn two is devastating as a tempo play. So I'm really excited for that. Maybe that they come back to life. All right, skipping down to the four drops, we got a new Planeswalker. Do we? Oh, yeah. I mean, there right. is so, a new Planeswalker, but does anybody have him? Karn, the Living Legacy. So, four generic mana for a four loyalty legendary Planeswalker Karn with an unbelievable wall of text. And that's with a history of Karns having an unbelievable wall of text. So, plus one, create a, pow a tapped Power Stone token. It's an artifact with tap add colorless. This mana can't be spent to cast a non-artifact spell. But what's tacit there is it can be used for literally anything else so that is activating any kind of ability there's a minus one pay any amount of mana look at that many cards uh, on the top of your library put one of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order and minus seven you get an emblem with tap and untapped artifact you control this emblem deals one damage to any target it's a lot it's a lot it's tough because the plus one being almost rampant growth in the specific deck you're playing it is worth a lot. 
is the minus one make the, the fact that minus one makes you pay mana is really annoying, but then I read it as you plus one once, and then your minus one becomes tap the power so you already created to draw a card. And then I don't hate it. But why does it have to make it tap? Because it makes sense it makes it tap, but I still hate it. I have never seen a new planeswalker so universally reviled. People hate this card. And I think it's like partly because Karn is so powerful and beloved, the artwork looks sweet. You're like getting excited, you see like all these tiny words in a small font, and you're like, Karn's gonna be so good, and you read it and it's like, wait, what? <laughs> so people are just like, This is the worst planeswalker we've ever seen. I can't believe how bad Karn is. That's what I'm seeing anyway. Outside of the meme, I don't think it's that bad. I just it's just worse that there are three card placewalkers which are all insane. Well, yeah, but okay, so it doesn't defend itself in any way, first of all. Uh which Karn the Great Creator doesn't, but Karn the Great Creator is bonkers. So putting that aside for a second. And then like the power stones are tapped. The ability to draw a card costs you mana. No matter what you do, it's gonna cost you at least one mana, which is I don't know, it just it just feels bad, right? Like in this era of crazy fire design where we get everything for free, all of a sudden you have a planeswalker, which ostensibly is a is a mana free source of value that is asking you to pay mana. On the flip side, I could see this being a pretty okay card in particularly like Etron or Prisontron, where you have a glut of mana, um, so that if you're digging for something like, say, a chalice and you need to stay alive, like you could dig like seven or eight cards deep and find it and and uh and and you know have what you need there i think the minus one ability is the hang up that's the one where you have to pay a bunch of mana or pay as much as you want it can be one just as emmy said to draw one card effectively that doesn't feel good but to me that says that the real power has got to be the plus one and the plus one is the one that reads bad but might actually be great like creating a tapped power stone so tapped feels bad and then what is a power stone we've never seen that before Ignoring the restriction is basically just a free mana, right? It's, it's like you're casting Rampant Growth on your plus one activation. That's a powerful spell. A Rampant Growth is worth two mana, and it's like too good for standard. So you're getting a Rampant Growth, a permanent mana source, whatever happens to Karn, you're getting the Power Stone. It's an artifact token, so it will trigger your artifact synergies if you're doing some kind of like affinity-style thing. I think we don't know yet or we just don't understand how good a power stone is and maybe we're not going to understand until like the next set comes out when we have more artifact themed stuff just reading this to me this says plus one rampant growth and i think most people are reading this as plus one nothing but plus one rampant growth is very very different from plus one nothing i guess so but on a four mana planeswalker i don't know yeah, it's an investment in your future, right? So David has a note here that this feels to him like a like a really bad Solemn Simulacrum. But Solemn Simulacrum only gets you one land, whereas Karn gets definitely one, possibly two, possibly a lot more. And those resources just stick around for you until your opponent plays Temporary Lockdown. So there's like potentially huge upside to Karn. I think it does depend on like what is the Power Stone deck, and we might not we might not have the answer yet. We'll have to see. But this is a great source of Power Stones. <laughs> yes, uh, Warren Power Stone and all the other Power Stones will, will combine. Um, there was a really sweet one in Dominaria which tapped for colorless equal to the number of cards named this that you had. Which this does not work with, unfortunately. It had to be exactly the same name as Power Stone Shard. It's so... If, if this had made Power Stone Shards, I would have liked it. Right, yeah, that would have been really like sweet. Like, that synergy <laughs> would have been really fun. Going forward, a card I have sneaked in here without noticing, because... If I'm not annoying Dan, what am I doing with my life? 
Eh, run at a break of Urbor. And there's a reason I have snaked this card in. Let me read it first before I elaborate on that. Two mana, a white, a white and a black for a 3-3 Vigilance War 2 Zombie Wizard. Other zombies you control have Vigilance. And whenever a legendary creature you control dies, create a token that's a copy of that creature, except it's not legendary and it's a 2-2 black zombie in addition to its other types. Here comes my question. So does Radarick plus the Leyline that makes everything legendary plus any sack outlet with the game? Leyline of Singularity? So Leyline of Singularity, Altar of Dementia, Radarick is lethal, right? With any creature? So that's a four-card combo, but that is clever. I do like that. So the way that Radata, gosh, that's a mouthful. Rata, Ratata? Ratatouille, Ratatouille of Urbor. Ratatouille of Urbor. Pretty sure it's Ratata. 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 Fritata. Ratata. That will trigger whenever another legend you control dies, but then it comes back as a non-legend, and that breaks the chain. So Emmy is saying we put the Leyland of Singularity down, and now even our tokens come back, and they're still legends. So we keep, they just keep generating more and more tokens. Um, yeah, I feel like that's like too much nonsense. It's cute, but it's nonsense. I'm just wondering if, like, apart from the nonsense, this is actually like a pretty good card by itself. No, I actually like the card, but I was thinking of playing this in the bad paddle combo Zach played a, few, a lot of months ago. Oh, yeah, the paddle battle that was already comboing with Leyland of Singularity. Right, right. So we have two combos in that deck. So you want to build a double combo? We should get Damon on this. I want to play a double combo Leyland of Singularity deck. Okay, the Honor Worn Shaku. I mean, there's so yes! many cards. If you're looking at the outline here, I have mentioned Honor Worn Shaku like five times. Not for any card that we're talking about today. Yeah, uh, in that uh, there's a, what is it, like a functional reprint, I, I think you wanted to call it. And there's a functional Yeah, that's that's what I'm talking about. There's a, all we need is ways to get a of singularity in the play, and we have everything around us in everything else now. All right, so don't immediately dismiss Radadarbic. I mean, they gave it Ward, which is really weird, and they gave it Vigilance, which makes no sense at all. It gives your zombies vigilance. I mean, that's all completely useless. The The good part of the card is this creating token copies. And yeah, maybe there's a combo there to be discovered, or maybe it's the weird combo Emmy's talking about. Interesting card. Four mana. We'll see. All right. And finally, I think uh, this will be the last card we talk about today. The next member of the Defiler cycle. We talked about the Defiler of Dreams, the Blue Sphinx. Turns out there's one for each color. These are five mana mythic creatures that give your permanence of the matching color Phyrexian mana. So you can now pay two life to get a one mana cost reduction. So what, what does that mean in practice? Defiler of Vigor. Three green green for a 6-6 six, six Phyrexian worm with trample. As an additional cost to cast green permanent spells, that is to say your future green permanent spells, not this, you may pay two life. Those spells cost green less to cast if you paid life this way. This effect reduces only the amount of green mana you pay. That's the Phyrexian mana, essentially. In addition to all that, you get another bonus. Whenever you cast a green permanent spell, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. I don't know how good it is. Like, I don't know where I would play. That's my problem with it. Also, it's really worth noting because it's not particularly clear. The Phyrexian mana is only once per card. True. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a trigger. That that's I, yeah. I thought we covered that on the last one, but yeah, it's a uh, the way it works. You you can't uh, do it twice. So these are tempting cards because they invite you to imagine what if you know any card could have Phyrexian cost. Is there a combo? And for the blue one, right? Maybe there is because you draw a card every time you cast a creature, so you could like use a 
fairy vandal or whatever it's called that like bounces another blue creature when you cast it or shrieking drake that one's like maybe doable the green one doesn't draw cards right so the payoff is not huge just getting extra plus one plus one counters but but like what if you have great henge in play maybe maybe great henge is supplying your cards and defiler of vigor is supplying your mana and it's just go with elves that's a three three that makes everything else plus one plus one as well cast it for free and draws you a card cast it for free draw you a card and just start going off and hope for the best the card green belt rampager is a card that only costs green comes back to your hand now in order to make that combo you have to siphon off the energy somewhere so i think frank kirsten had tweeted out you know his four card combo was green belt rampager defiler of vigor long tusk cub and something else i forget what <laughs> um but yeah, it's the same deal. So like, the, the white member of the cycle is called Defiler of Faith. And if you imagine that I can like reduce the cost of my white cards, well, okay, what if I've got uh, Oketra's Monument plus Soul Warden plus uh, what is the card that comes back to your hand? Aviary Mechanic or White Mane Lion, right? So people are like... Lost in the sauce. Letting their imaginations run wild with these cards. Yeah, I love the White Defiler. White Defiler going infinite with Oketra's Monument, White Mane, and uh, Soul Sister is my kind of charm. All these combos require at least four pieces. Don't expect the world from them, but it's cute that we have these new cards that allow us to at least assemble these. I think in practice, it's just not going to happen. The, the good thing is these are four-card combos, but let's say, for example, in this one, let's say you don't have a way to end life or to siphon anything. Just make, or to siphon the energy, just getting three plus one plus one controls on everything, and this a nine-nine might be enough. Or in case of the final phase where that soul sister, you just play your lion five times, get... 10 one ones on your one mm. cent step and that should be enough or you know there's like these are four card combos that require only two pieces a lot of the time to be good synergistic pieces and with three they should be back breaking most of the times so that's what i like about them and for example in the case of the white one most of the cards are already played in that same deck so it's not like you're screwing up your deck and in the green one it's sort of the same the blue one is like the most combo centric i think yeah i think it's a fair assessment so they will have to stand on their own merits right outside of the, the four card combos, but the two and three card combos could be decent. Maybe. We'll see. But we see, and so far I have been loving the cards in this set. I don't know if, for how powerful they are, but a lot of them are super interesting, ignoring Shieldred that doesn't exist and sadly got never spoiled. So it's sad that we never will to see a card for the four mana Shieldred, and we'll never will, but that's what it is. You're catching you're catching a lot of flack already for your <laughs> dismissal of Shieldred. I mean I got one person defending me and that's all I need. Stevie, you're you're, you're my bro. I'm on Emmy's side hundred percent. Uh it, it 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 is a very boring card that could easily have been printed as an uncommon. Exactly. It's not a power level thing. Like card is decent on power level, that's not what matters to me. I have seen worse cards and been more excited. It's a thing of boringness. And it's like this has almost the same text, like literally almost the same text. Right, where it's like, I, 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 I want to see something cool. When they printed Karn the Great Creator and he had a minus ability that was a simultaneous, like that was a quote, real wish. And for old boomers like me, uh, wishes used to be able to get cards from exile as well as your sideboard. Uh, it used to just be called outside the game. So they gave it that? So they gave it that. And it's also one of the few cards that they've ever printed that has that. So it's really cool and unique right and beyond any way that it was ever going to be powerful it was cool and unique and that has value 
or for example, going to a lesser extent, the new Shingi Takshas isn't powerful, but it's interesting, right. and people thought about it and talked about it. Right. You're like, oh, what what can we do? Is this good enough? There's a question, and with the shoulder, it's like, nah, definitely not. I mean, I know exactly what I can do. If I draw cards, my opponent might die if I draw enough cards, and that's it. I know exactly what I can do and how I can do it. Should I do it? Right, but it kind of already existed, right? Like, in a number of different times, and it's never been a fun or interesting thing to do. Yeah, so now I have also done support. I also have stack support, and that's all I need to stick to my guts. <laughs> also, in the new spoilers, we have a new Chatterfang that makes one once whenever you make creatures, and nothing interesting besides that. I mean, I think there's a lot of cards that are interesting and will be fun for some people to brew around in other formats. For formats that are as powerful as Pioneer and Modern right now, uh, we, we've covered a lot of the most... No, no, I was referring to cards that we haven't seen here because they have been spoiling over the past few minutes and that, that's where I got R R Ratatouille from. That's what I mean, like, other than Ratatouille and a few others, and there's nothing, like, particularly powerful. Ratatouille! So this is going to be the conclusion of part two of our set review. That does mean we have a lot of cards to get through for Friday's episode. Emmy will be back for that, and uh, hopefully David as well. I'm going to steal David or Damon. I'm going to steal somebody to join me on that adventure. So we are only 140 cards spoiled. We have half, half of the set yet to be seen. Already a lot of exciting cards. Some few build arounds that I know people are going to love seeing us through with. And if not, I'm just going to stop temporary lockdown, and play Domain while having some annoying amount of fun with my removal. Exactly. All right, Zach, I know you have a ship to catch, but we hope to see you again soon, right? I would love to be back uh, as soon as I can, and uh, if you want to see how my magic adventures are treating, treating me, you can tweet at me or follow me on Twitter at Manasymbol, M-A-N-A-C-Y-M-B-A-L, where I'm a little bit more active because I have access to it uh, a larger percentage of the time. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, happy trails, bon voyage, or what, I don't know what you say to a musician heading out to sea. Uh, I don't know either, <laughs> but uh, bon voyage will be <laughs> fine. <laughs> Take care, we hope to see you again soon. See you, everybody. Bye. Bye, Zach. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, I want you to know more about our latest brews. You can support us via Patreon, which will not only grant you immediate access to our Discord, where you will find our faithless brewers alongside an army of unlike players, but also will allow you to participate in the monthly project, where you can decide what cards are we going to brew with. Finally, remember to tune in on next Friday, where more will be shown by one of our beloved co-hosts, and look at the previews for the last cards of Dominaria alongside the first ideas for this new set and the beginning of our new brewing season. Hope you enjoyed the show and have a nice night!